A week ago Thursday uh, on our mission trip, we uh, does that bring out good memories for you, Bobby and Rita? Uh, uh, we we were uh, uh, we had finished dedicating the house, we had painted the house, we had finished everything, we had handed the family the keys and and a Bible, we had nailed up uh, Brant and Dana nailed up the plaque, and then uh, Ricardo finished it off, and we we'd done the whole thing, and and they wanted to serve us a meal. I guess actually the meal was before we did all that, but they wanted to serve us. Uh, a meal, and, and that, that is it. Now, that doesn't do it a lot of justice. In fact, that probably makes it look a little worse. Uh, but they made us, I guess, tacos, and, 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 and in that was, uh, some bologna and some, uh, hot dogs and, to, how do you pronounce that? Teresa? You told me. Teresa, yeah, ter- Oh, I should, should have went here to the, the, the director of the source, Teresa. Uh, and it really was very good. But, the, the day before, uh, We'd got back, oh, about one o'clock, one thirty or something back to the church. We, two of the, the groups had finished the build, uh, ours being one of those. And we got back to the church and, and everyone ate lunch. I had some sandwiches. And then we found out that the pastor, uh, the pastor's wife, Hector's wife, Cecilia was, was cooking lunch for us. So they'd all eaten sandwiches and, and I got back a little bit later and I had a sandwich and, and she cooked some rice and, uh, and chicken mole. And it was really, really good. It was really good. And, and so she's just fixing these plates and taking them out and setting in front of you. And so, I mean, everyone pretty much felt compelled to eat that. So we ate that. I don't know, it was about four o'clock. She started making flautas. And she made a bunch of flautas and set them out. So, and they, whoo, they were really good. So remind me, people, next year, I'm going to call ahead and have her make the flautas again because they were really good. Uh, so you had to eat them. Uh, so we ate the flautas. And later that night, we had had, had our, our good friend, my good friend Oscar, who attends church at the Yadiala Church, he and his wife Suhei were coming out to cook supper for us. So we ate supper again that night about 7 o'clock, and oh, it was really, really good. And and so Thursday morning came around, and I think everyone was stuffed. Plus, I mean, we would worked hard all week, it had been hot, we were wore out, and and then they put the the plate of these 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 uh, tacos, and I'd say they were really good. But uh, but some of our group struggled. Uh, in fact, right before we ate, Mary, who was our Costas per Cristo rep, said she made this announcement. She said they're going to cook for us, and uh, you need to eat everything they put in front of you, unless you have a food allergy. And and you guys couldn't figure out one real quick. Unless you have a food allergy, you need to eat everything that they give you. And so they handed out these four tacos, and like I said, they were excellent, but Rita sat there picking at hers, and then she leaned over to me, and she says, and she wasn't feeling real good right then, and she said, I, I can't finish it. You're going to have to eat them for me. <laughs> and and I had eat, I'd eaten, what, four or five meals the day before, and I really wasn't hungry. I Usually I can eat anything, but I wasn't all that, yeah, it was 10.30 in the morning, yeah, I I, I wasn't that hungry, and and so I'm thinking, huh. And, and, and so I looked over at, uh, at Julio, one of the Mexicans that we hired. And I, I said, Julio, can you eat her tacos? He said, no, I'm good. I said, no, I'm, I'm not asking you. If, I'm not, will you do it? And so, so I took one of them and we slipped the others over to Julio. And then Rita said, we leaned over and she said, uh, I think Bobby's going to need some help. And, uh, I don't know what was going on. Bobby wasn't feeling well or he, he, he definitely wasn't feeling the tacos. And he tried to eat it, but it's one of those things, the more he tried to eat it, the more, 
the more his mind just Pickle and take that down. He's starting to turn green on us right here. Uh, but, but the more his mind kind of went around, like I've got to do it, but I can't. And he thought, what's more, what's ruder to not eat it or to throw up? Uh, so Rita said, Bobby needs some help. So I, 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 I got Molly, who was a, a little girl that went with us from up at Sheridan, and said, Molly, will you eat hers? And she's no bigger than she a little bitty thing, but she ate I don't know how many tacos that day. And, and our two Costas ladies, I think they ate about eight or eight or nine each because a couple other people couldn't quite finish it. But boy, when you're when you're faced with something that that you you know you have to do, but boy, it's a struggle, and you know it's going to be hard. Man, it is tough to follow through when you're faced with that. We're going to look at a passage this morning. You're familiar with it. You've uh, uh, you, you probably know the details of this story. I would imagine you you could probably name a couple uh, old hymns that talk about this story. You, you know it very well. But it's a story about Jesus right towards the end of His ministry, right before He was arrested, right before He went to the cross, Jesus had to go to Gethsemane. And the reality is, as as He was faced with the prospect of going there, He had to, in the back of His mind, being I had to be thinking, man, I don't want to do it. We're going to look this morning and talk a little bit about what was going on and why that was the case. But there's good news. As we look in Mark chapter 14 this morning, there's good news. Jesus, even though he had to have desired not to be there, even though he knew what it was going to mean, even though it was going to be so difficult, there's good news. Jesus went to Gethsemane. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. 32 to 42. Like I said, you're, you're going to be very familiar with this story. They went to a place. This is right after the, the, the Last Supper. So they had celebrated the Passover. Jesus had instituted the, 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 the bread and the wine. Remember the body and the blood. He, he had prophesied that one of them was going to betray him. That was Judas. He had already told Peter that he was going to deny him three times. He had told the whole group that they all were going to turn. They all said, oh, that's not going to happen, Jesus. But when they'd finished the Passover meal, when they'd finished all that, they, they went to Gethsemane. This is what, what happens. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, so the, the whole, the eleven were there, uh, Judas was gone at this point, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed, distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus, Jesus went to Gethsemane. There's good news. He went to to Gethsemane, and he wanted his disciples' help. Uh, they walked in the garden, he had the eleven sit down, and then he said, 
He said to the three, James, Peter, and John. And we mentioned this a couple times already in the Gospel of Mark. Oftentimes when Jesus separated out two or three extra guys, it usually was James and John and, and Peter. They, they, they were a little bit closer to Jesus than the others. They were kind of an inner circle of the inner circle. And so he said to Peter, James, and John, come with me. And so they went a little deeper into the garden, maybe a few steps away. And, and then he sat down and he asked them to keep watch with him. Jesus wanted his disciples' help even though, catch this, even though he knew they would go to sleep. Even though, I think Jesus knew that when he got there, they were going to crash and they weren't going to stay. Even though he knew they were going to sleep, when he wanted them to stay with them, he invited them to go a little further into the garden. Now let me let me ask a question. I got you right in mid-yawn, so I'm going to ask you right now, Gary. <laughs> perfect, perfect. You're going to learn not to sit here. Bruce has already moved. Bruce used to sit there. He's moved way over there. But let me just ask this question. Just give me an honest answer. If you had a friend call you and and say, Gary, man, I'm really hurting. I'm really struggling. You probably have had this happen before. I'm really hurting. Uh, could you come over and just be with me? Now, now, just give me an honest answer. Answer. You think you'd stay awake? I would stay awake. Yeah. I'm going to answer it for you. Yes. That yes is the answer. <laughs> I know you're thinking. I'm, I want to say yes, but he's probably going to make fun of me if I do. You would stay. Selena, if you had a friend call you and say, "Man, I'm really hurting. I'm going through a hard time." You know, maybe she got boyfriend troubles, and can you come over and just talk with me? Would you stay awake? Correct answer. Correct answer. Really? You'd stay awake? No, no, that's right. I like to believe that I would stay awake too. Now, I say I'd like to believe because, because I remember a time, uh, when, when I lived in, when we lived in Baton Rouge, I, I drove to Joplin with a group of high school kids to a deeper life rally. Um, and, and we got into Joplin late, we got, into the dorm rooms, and we actually stayed in the dorm room. And, and I was there with my friend Darren, one of the, the youth, uh, 15 or 16-year-old at the time. And, and, and we got in, and I'd driven all the way straight through from Baton Rouge, I don't know, about a 10, 11-hour drive. I was, I was tired, but we got in the room, and we began to talk. And, and we were actually talking, and Darren was a guy that was hard to break through the super, superficial. He was hard to talk about real stuff, because he was, everything's always good, everything's great. But we actually got talking about some serious stuff. He was really talking about about what it was like to be in his high school and feel like he was the only Christian. And, and we're laying there in the dark, and I'm trying to stay awake. I mean, he's, he's sharing his heart. For the first time, he's sharing his heart. And I woke up the next morning, and I don't know where I left off at, because I fell asleep. I like to believe that I would stay awake. But I at least can understand these disciples. Uh, and we might ask, and I believe Gary would stay awake. I believe Selena would stay awake. I really do. But but why did they go to sleep? I, I don't think even yet they were understanding the severity, the, the seriousness of what was going on. Even though, even though Jesus said, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. Even though they, they surely had seen the emotion in his eyes, they saw the pain in his face, I don't think they got it. Even though he had said, uh, my, someone's going to betray me. I, I still don't think they had figured it out that it was really going to happen. So, so when they got the garden, they were tired. They leaned back against a rock or against one of the olive trees, and and they fell asleep. Not, uh, uh, not, not once, uh, not twice, but three different times. Jesus came and found them asleep and and had to wake wake them up. Jesus wanted his disciples' help, even though he knew they were going to sleep. 
Jesus wanted their help even though, now catch this, even though he knew they were going to deny him. Even though literally moments later, probably within an hour later, he knew that they would deny him. That they would, to the man, turn and run. Jesus invited them to go a little further in the garden and keep watch. I, 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 I wonder when it was that this reality sunk into Peter. Uh, I believe it was after the resurrection some, at some point, possibly even after Jesus had ascended, maybe even after, maybe even after, uh, Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit came on the disciples and they preached in Acts chapter 2 that first gospel sermon and thousands of people were, came to know Jesus. I believe it was sometime after that, that, that Peter was sitting there thinking one day, and it suddenly hit him, a clarity came upon him, and he remembered back to that night, and he remembered to the fact that Jesus knew. It, it hit him suddenly that, you know, when Jesus called me into the garden, and he said, keep watch, he knew. See, see the clarity was there, because now Peter, looking at it pat in, in a past tense uh, fashion, understood what was going on in Jesus' heart. When, when Jesus had said, uh, th- th- said, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death, th- Peter now understood what was going to happen. Peter understood the pain that was in his heart. And I, I imagine Peter was sitting there thinking, and, and he could review and remember the look on Jesus' face, and he probably was thinking, why didn't I catch it? Why didn't I understand? And even though he knew I was going to deny him, even though he knew moments later I would say, not once, but three times, I would say, I don't know the Master. He still called Jesus. Jesus still called him there. Now, I want you to catch something, because I think, I think two emotions hit, hit Peter. First of all, I think that day when he's sitting there and it just hit him all of a sudden, I think he probably was overcome with guilt. Wow. Jesus had wanted me just to stay awake. That's all he asked. He said, keep watch. Literally what that means is stay awake. That's all Jesus asked. Peter... Can you stay awake? I imagine Peter, when he, when he thought back to that, I, I bet he was overcome with emotion. I bet he was overcome with guilt. Man, I blew it. Not, not, not just then. I, I, just later I was going to deny him, but man, I blew it big time. He was overcome with guilt. But then that emotion changed. And, and, and this is what I want you to catch. If you catch nothing else from the story, the good news that Jesus went to the garden, catch this. I think he had to be overcome with joy to realize that Jesus, even though he knew he was going to sleep and even though he knew he was going to deny him, he still called him close. Do you realize that even though our Savior knows that we're going to blow it, even though he knows we're going to make mistakes, even though he knows we're going to deny him at times and we're going to turn our back, Jesus doesn't push us away. He calls us to him. He calls us close. So even though they were going to deny, Jesus still wanted their, their help. He wanted their help even though, here's the reality, even though they couldn't help. There was nothing they could do for him other than watch. They couldn't take the cross for him. They couldn't take his pain. Jesus at this time, we, we get a clear picture. We get a clear, clear picture into his human side. We find him in the garden praying, Abba, Father. Abba is the, 
the Aramaic word for daddy. It's a very, uh, and it's a word that, that they wouldn't have used. The Jews would have, would not have used that, but that's what Jesus, he cried out to his own father and he said, Abba Father. It was a very personal term. Abba Father. If you can take this away, if there's some way that I don't have to go through this, we see Jesus battling with his human side. I don't want to have to endure what's laid before me, but there's good news. Even though they couldn't help him, Jesus went to Gethsemane. In Hebrews chapter two, or chapter 12, verse 2, it says kind of an interesting thing. It says that Jesus went to the cross, and it said before, because of the joy set before him, the joy set before him. We, we read here in Mark chapter 14 and, uh, and in the other Gospels, and we don't see a whole lot of joy. We, we see struggle and we see pain, and yet we're told that, that the joy set before him, Jesus endured the torture of the cross. What in the world does he mean by that? Uh, my, my son, uh, our son Caleb, uh, is gonna run the Chicago Marathon in October. He was talking, uh, he rode to, to St. Louis this week, uh, with us, uh, the last couple of days for, uh, for Aaron's funeral and, and, and we were talking about his training and he's been getting up every morning, uh, early in the morning and running. He said the other day he got up and ran, I don't know, eight or ten miles and, and when he got back, his neighbor just walked out and was going to her car and she looked at him and she said, man, you look terrible. <laughs> and he said, I feel terrible too. He's getting up every morning in this heat and humidity. At the motel yesterday morning, he got up and ran, he did run on the treadmill, 12 miles on a treadmill. Uh, why? Good answer, good question. Why? Because he's looking forward to something in the future. There's going to be a day in October when he crosses the finish line in Chicago and someone's going to hand him a medal. And, and he's going to say, I did it. I did it. I finished. Jesus, Jesus' human side was saying here, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to endure the pain. But the joy for him was what it was going to mean. Jesus went to Gethsemane and he went with us in mind. See, he went into that garden that night and you know who he was thinking about? You know, you know who was on his mind when he went there? It was, it was you. And he went to the garden that night, uh, and he was thinking about me. Because it was, it was going to set into motion the, the end. It was going to set into motion what was going to happen. And he went there with us in mind. My, my brother and I, Rick, when we were kids, we were teenagers, well, probably 10, 12, uh, on up through high school. Our job was to mow the yard. That was one of our, our responsibilities was to mow our yard. When, when I was a kid, our yard looked enormous. I mean, it looked like the size of about two football fields. I mean, it covered it covered like three lots. It was huge. Now, as an adult, I go back and think, wow, 20 minutes, and I could have that thing knocked out. It's not that big a yard. But we just had a push mower, a little 20-inch 20, 20 push mower, and little Briggs and Stratton two-horse engine or one three-quarter inch or something like that. So, so we had to work at it, and we hated to mow. I don't mind mowing now. I kind of like mowing, but we hated mowing. And we would put it off, and we would put it off, and the grass would start to get high, and Dad would holler at us, and Mom would holler at us. And it got to where when we knew we just absolutely absolutely had to get it mowed, we would avoid Dad. You know, when Dad got home at 4 o'clock, because we knew if it wasn't mowed, he was going to have words. So we just weren't there. I mean, at 4 o'clock, we were playing baseball. At 4 o'clock, we were at a friend's house. Uh we skipped supper a couple times because we knew what was going to happen. 
Dad was going to go to bed at 9. We could slip in home after that. and We, would, we didn't want to face it. We didn't want to face the reality of what was going to happen. Dad was going to make us mow that yard. Sometimes we find ourselves in those situations. We, we know something tough is coming and we don't want to face it. Maybe in some relationships with friends, with family members, with a spouse, co-workers. There's something you just have to deal with and, man, you just don't want to face it, so you just avoid it. Jesus went to Gethsemane with us in mind, even though it meant the end. Even though it meant, the, it meant the end. See, when he went to Gethsemane, it was going to start the last steps. Because he knew what was going to happen. In Gethsemane, Judas was going to find him. Did you, ever, did you ever stop and think about how Judas knew where Jesus was going to be? Anyone think about that? How did, how did, Jesus, or how did Judas find Jesus that night? I mean, he didn't have GPS, he couldn't track him, couldn't call. Hey, Jesus, where are you? And none of that. How, how did he know he was there? If you look in your Bibles, I'm not going to read it, but you can look over in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, and it tells us, right, right after the, the, the Passover meal that night, it says, they went to Gethsemane like they always did. So, so all week long, they had been going at night to, to the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were praying. Maybe they went there to kind of unwind. Maybe they went there just to relax. But every night that whole week they'd gone to Gethsemane. I think they went there so that Judas would know where they would be. And and so when he betrayed Jesus, he would be able to find him. Man, I don't think I would have gone to Gethsemane. I think I'd have gone somewhere else. If I was Jesus, I'd have gone back to Galilee. I'd have gone to Jericho. I'd find my friend Bartimaeus who had who had given his sight back. I'd gone to his house in Jericho. I'd gone anywhere but Gethsemane. But Jesus had established the pattern and he went there even though he knew what was coming. Even though that would set into motion the end. And he went there even though it meant agony. Verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. The, the Greek word there for for being over, uh, for overwhelmed is the Greek word exhambio. And, and it has the idea of the greatest possible degree of heartache and discouragement. Jesus used a word that said, I literally, man, I am struggling. I am suffering here. Why? I think there's two things on Jesus' mind. First of all, he was thinking of the cross. If, if you knew the culture, if you knew what crucifixion was, it was nothing to mess with. It was going to be painful. It was going to be a heartache. It was going to be difficult. And I, I think Jesus saw the cross and, and his physical body was saying, I don't want to go. His spirit was saying, turn and run somewhere else. And, and yet, yet he, yet he went. And I think Jesus was facing the reality as we're told in, in 2 Corinthians that he was going to face sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 says, that he who knew, he made him who knew no sin to no sin, that we might become the righteousness in him. We became righteous because Jesus experienced our sin on the cross. And I think he dreaded the physical burden of the cross, but I think even more so he dreaded the spiritual burden of the cross of dealing with our sin and taking on our sin. But there's good news. Even though it meant agony, even though he was thinking of us, he went, to the cross. I've got a, I've got an old Bible that I, I started college with and I, 
I ran across a poem years ago, so probably back in the late 70s, and I wrote it on, on the inside of my Bible. Let me, let me read that poem to you. It's called, I Nailed My Savior There. It says this, I came upon the cross one day that stood on Calvary. I watched them lead my Lord away and nail Him to the tree. And as the darkness dimmed the view, I chanced to catch His stare. I bowed in shame, for then I knew I nailed my Savior there. The Jews cast not the only stone that bruised and brought a tear, nor did that Roman stand alone and thrust that cruel spear. But many prints of agony that marked Christ's face so fair were from the wounds imposed by me. I nailed my Savior there. My sin led Jesus to the cross. For me the Savior bled. He took my sin and bore its dross and died there in my stead. O wondrous love that He should show such grace when I too share. An equal guilt for well I know. I nailed my Savior there. Jesus went to the, car, to, to the garden, went to the cross with us in mind. And Jesus went to the garden willing to obey. Even though He didn't have to. We may struggle with this, and you may disagree with me, but Jesus went to the garden that night, and He had the option to say no. When He prayed to the Lord, God, not my will, but Your will be done. Literally what He was saying is, I have a choice here. I can turn my back on my destiny. I can turn my back on what I'm called to do. I don't have to do this. But if I want to offer forgiveness, if I want to offer a way to salvation, if I want if I want to offer hope in heaven and help here on earth and grace to those who are in need, then I have to do it. He went to the cross even though God was silent. He went there even willing to obey even when God was silent. David Garland in his, in his commentary says this, in Gethsemane, Jesus meets the dreadful silence of heaven. There's no reassuring voice from heaven proclaiming, this is my son whom I love. There's no dove descending, no ministering angels to come serve him. God had already spoken, and now the son had to obey. Jesus went to Gethsemane willing, willing to obey. mentioned earlier that my, my nephew passed away last week. The service was yesterday. I think probably to a person, all of us in the family, uh, at least the, the aunts and uncles and the cousins, uh, all thought of the same thing when we heard that Aaron had passed away and we started to process and we started to remember and started to think about him. We all remembered the same story. My brother mentioned it yesterday in the, uh, in his memorial service. When, when Aaron was, I don't know, maybe eight or, eight or seven, eight years old, nine, younger, okay, six, seven, I don't know when it was. Uh, he was a few years old. We were back in uh, in Illinois to, to to visit, and all the cousins were playing baseball in the side yard. And and one of my cousins, Sean, hit a foul ball, and, and the ball went up. And Aaron was stand, Aaron wasn't the most athletic kid in the group, so he was playing because everyone else was playing, but he wasn't interested, and he wasn't paying attention. He was standing over there talking to Grandma, and and a foul ball went up and landed and hit him right on top of the head. I mean, it's kind of one of those. You, we, we, I can still hear the sound that it made. You know, the thump. And Aaron started crying. Now, now the reality is, my my grand my my mom, his grandma was was filming the whole thing. She had one of those uh, one of those video uh, VHS tape recorders. Took the whole VHS, 
set up on her shoulder. She videoed everything. So she was sitting in a swing video. So we got this on video. It's Champ Chris, or it's Champ Summer video 1987 or 86. I've got it at home somewhere. Anyone have a VHS player so I can play it? But, uh, but Grandma's got the whole thing. You see the pop fly. You see it bonk Aaron on the head. And, and then the classic line that, that we can all quote after he stopped crying. He, he cried for a little bit. And then he said, Grandma, can I have some Kool-Aid? <laughs> Kool-Aid solved the problem. If he could just have some lemon-lime Kool-Aid, if he could just have some cherry Kool-Aid or orange, whatever it was, if I could have some Kool-Aid... That was going to solve the whole issues. We, we will forever, we will forever remember uh, Aaron with that story. Uh, there's other stuff too, but that's the first thing that came to my mind. That's the first thing that came to all of our mind when, when we heard of his passing, and that's the first thing that will come to our minds when we think about him again. Is that moment in time, Grandma? Can I have some Kool Aid? What about the garden? We sing about it in the hymns. I come to the garden alone while the dew's still. We sing about it. We read about it. We hear about it. Jesus went to Gethsemane. We, we know what happened there, but, but do you realize that he went there wanting help? When he knew it wasn't going to happen, when he knew they were going to deny, when he knew all was going to happen, he still called the disciples close. Jesus knows that we're going to turn from him, but he still wants to be close to us. He went to the garden with us in mind. He went knowing that, that he was doing it for us. He could have turned and ran, could have went in the other direction, but he did it with us in mind, and he did it willing to obey. He could have said no. He could have said it's too hard. It's too painful. The price is too high. But instead, he said, not my will, but your will be done. If you're here this morning, and you don't know the Jesus of Gethsemane, if you don't know and understand if you've not accepted uh, the, the gift that he offers by going to the garden. Jesus went there and set into motion what was going to stop only at his crucifixion. And he did so for you and I. He, he paid the price. He paid the penalty. He took care of our sin uh, because he loved us. If you're here this morning you don't know that, we'd encourage you to come and just call on Jesus for his mercy and his grace and his love. Would you stand this morning with us, we'll be singing an invitation to him. Let's pray just quickly. Father, we thank you for the love that you showed us through Jesus. Lord, help us see Gethsemane in a different way, realizing that Jesus went there for us, knowing that it was going to be painful, knowing what it would set in motion, but he went to the cross for us. Lord, if we call on you, we will be saved. Lord, help us call your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.